Folks, we made it. It is Tuesday, November 3rd. It is election day. I'm Tom Ella. Welcome back to another episode of the Protest Coverage Podcast. Today, I am so excited to introduce you to Ron Weaver. He's one of New York's most talented documentarians in the Black Lives Matter movement, and he's been traveling from Trump rally to Trump rally in the lead up to the presidential election. I managed to catch Ron between flights so he could tell me what it's like to go deep undercover at these rallies, how he gets Trump supporters to talk to him at all, what it feels like to find yourself genuinely laughing at Donald Trump's jokes, how the movement in New York compares to other cities, and how he hopes to use his work to unite the country before things get really scary. All this and more coming up right now. record we're recording i don't know it's like we're recording yeah man sorry i i I, i'm in a real unkempt state today it's been a it's been a long couple of days but a long several months yeah that's super true all right i guess we just i do we need to plan anything do we plan anything Yeah. yeah this is all uh off the cuff it sounds like yeah all right, welcome back to the Protest Coverage Podcast, everybody. I am here, special treat today, with everybody's favorite documentarian for the movement, Ronald Weaver. Yo. Wearing a sick Lakers beanie right now. I gotta represent. I'm born and raised in LA, <laughs> and I will never let anyone forget it. Um, this is not the beanie I've been seeing you wearing, though, lately in your stories that I think most people have seen you wearing. No, no, I shoved that one in my pocket as soon as I left the uh, the Trump the Trump region. <laughs> Can you give a quick intro on like who you are for people who might not know you and what you've kind of been up to? Because right now you're you're coming to me live from an airport. I am. So I mean, in a nutshell, I'm a freelance photo video guy. Starting May 29th, when protests began in New York City, I started filming, started shooting photo video and then about seven days later or maybe six days later i shifted my focus to a documentary approach so for the last four plus months i've been just adding terabyte after terabyte of data to my my mass collection of hard drives and i've been to a series of states protests across the country and you know my focus has shifted multiple times only because the story is extremely compelling and constantly changing and recently i realized the importance in following the election so over the last week i've been to three trump rallies in three states including uh allentown pennsylvania omaha nebraska and green bay wisconsin wow currently i'm on my way back to philly to join until freedom and their march in remembrance for the man that was killed by philadelphia police several days ago and then I'm off to my fourth Trump rally on Monday in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Wow. Yeah. And for context for people, we're recording this on Friday, October 30th. So we are a razor's edge away from this election. You know, I'm kind of curious because you've been everywhere. I, I kind of want to know, like, I guess two things, really. One is wh- why all the Trump rallies? Like, what's why I follow them right now? Like, what are you hoping to gain? And what's like kind of the vibe difference between going you know, even from like, you've been to like Louisville, you've been to New York, you've been all around. 
Like, what's the vibe difference when you go from place to place? Trump rallies have been just such a mystery for, for many of us on the left, especially those that live on the coast. They tend to take place in battleground areas, states that are, you know, kind of in the mix for elections, states or cities that have a solid Trump support base. And, you know, I'm convinced that one of the biggest issues with this division in our country is the fact that we just don't talk to each other. We have preconceived notions of the other side. Both sides are guilty of this. And I realized that if I could go to these Trump rallies, I might have a chance to talk to several dozen Trump fanatics. Because let's be clear, there are there are Trump fans and there are Trump fanatics, right? Yeah, that's a distinction. Um, you know, the, these rallies are in uh, interesting places, but people from all over the country ascend to these cities just to get a glimpse of Donald and hear him talk. And it's extremely interesting. I really didn't know what to expect because before the first one, about six days ago, I had seen just the wild events of that Times Square Trump rally where there was brawls in the streets, multiple brawls in the streets. So obviously my radar was up. You know, I, I decided to go deep cover, sport a red shirt, get a Trump pin. I just knew that I'd gain so much perspective from going to these things. Each one I've into i've come out just feeling like i've gained so much perspective on one end i've gained compassion for the average trump fanatic i now understand that there's a wide range of these people that love trump and they love him for a wide range of reasons and not all of them are necessarily gross or prior you to like vilify them like a lot of these people are, are sincerely good people you know, they want the same things that, that most Americans want. They want prosperity. They want freedom. They want to get along with people. Of course, there's the cognitive dissonance. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to blame people for being duped. Donald Trump is an entertainer. He is so good at what he does. Going to these rallies and hearing him talk, it's easy to see why he resonates with so many people because he's just a pure entertainer. He's funny. He's real in some sense, and people can relate to him despite him being this billionaire from New York City, you know, living the 0.0001 percentile lifestyle. He's still able to connect with these small town, simple folks. Yeah, I mean, he was a reality TV show host for a reason. He understands how to entertain people and he understands the value of humor. So when you see him go up and do weird things and say, quote unquote, like what everybody's thinking, he doesn't feel like a politician. He doesn't look like a politician. He makes fun of politicians and we all hate politicians. So the, even in like a lot of like liberals, I remember when I was watching some of the early debates that he was in, it's hard not to be entertained by him. And it's hard not to, you know, when he lays into Ted Cruz, you know, or somebody that you genuinely hate that, that you're like, yo, this guy is terrible. And then Trump's over here calling him Lion Ted and, you know, Little Marco and all these other names. You're like, yeah, man, like, give it to him. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Call him Lion Ted. That's great. Because he's lying. Yeah. Uh, I've never watched Republican or Democratic debates so consistently as the 2016 election cycle. And I enjoyed Trump up there doing his thing, even though he was brash, even though he was a bully it was entertaining it was must see tv mm -hmm. and until it was clear that this guy has a chance i was loving it but then i realized wow you know there there is a chance here 
And then that entertainment started to turn into fear slowly. And then just, I don't want to say hate because that's such a powerful word, but I just, I really, really dislike the guy. I haven't come full circle, but I've, I've learned to not get worked up by the things he says. I understand who he is. He's a troll in the, in the most basic form of what that is. He says things to intentionally get a reaction from people and he's been doing it for years. He was able to manipulate the media when he was just a public citizen to the point where everyone knew his name. That wasn't an accident. He wasn't that important. He just knew how to be a big deal. He knew how to make the media want to know what he's up to. Like he is just a master at getting the attention. And that's, you know, a big component to his success is just getting people to talk about him, getting people to watch him, whether you like him or not, if your eyes are on him, he's winning in a sense. Yeah. And like, I'm, I'm honestly like curious, like, how do you feel like when you're at like a Trump rally and you're just watching him and he's telling jokes and you catch yourself laughing, what does that feel like? I mean, it's like watching reality TV that, you know, is just garbage and being entertained <laughs> by it. You almost feel bad that you're, that you're enjoying it. But, you know, these Trump rallies were were unique in the sense that I was just putting on a, a full, not only a disguise, but just acting along. So even when he was saying things that I wouldn't normally laugh at, I was pretending to laugh at it and pretending to nod my head. So when I actually laughed, it was it came out easier. You know what I mean? Yeah. But a couple of times when I laughed for real, I thought to myself, like, damn, that was funny. That sucks. <laughs> Yeah, moving on to the other the other question, mm -hmm. which has gotten more nuanced in the last week because I've now been to, you know, uh, conservative strongholds in Allentown. And I don't know what the percentages are in Green Bay or Omaha. Like, I hear that there's actually a, a relatively significant liberal population in Omaha. But, you know, with my skewed view of those two cities being that I went to the Trump rally, you would think that everyone in that damn place was a Trump fan. But that's not obviously the case. I mean, obviously, I'm based in New York, so I've been to 100 plus protests there. Um, I've been down to Louisville. I went to Miami for work. Uh, I went to a few protests in L.A. Yeah, it's, it's been vast and, and it's given me so much perspective. You know, for me, Louisville was extremely special because the pain is so raw and real there. Mm -hmm. You know, the Breonna Taylor situation is new. It's fresh. These people are hurting. And, you know, to go from New York where, you know, the protests were strong and people were passionate to then go to Louisville and witness their like actual fight was mind blowing in a sense. Like I really, I really, it really changed my view of New York protests. They seemed a lot more symbolic and, and made for TV or made for social media once I saw the people in Louisville do their thing. For them, it's, I mean, like you're saying, it's, it's personal because that's where Breonna Taylor was. Her family's there. You're seeing her family every day when yes. you're there. Yes. Here, it's a lot of that stuff feels more far away. Like we see videos and we see news about, you know, even Walter Wallace Jr. that just was killed in Philadelphia. Breonna Taylor, that was in Louisville. There have been deaths in New York, but they haven't felt on the same level. And, you know, with that said, like I went to Miami and I went to a protest and like I I had to leave because I just didn't feel the energy and the vibe. It was like, you know, culturally, all of these regions in America are so different. And that means they protest different and their fight is different and the faces of the leaders are different and the way they speak is different. I kind of 
gained a lot of, I don't know, strength in this movement from New York. So obviously there, there's a special place in my heart that New York protests kind of occupy. But, you know, with Louisville, I felt more connected to Breonna Taylor than I did any of the names when I was in New York. Like you said, it, it, there's this disconnect, which is just there because of, I don't know, the distance. I don't know what it is. Like, obviously, there's been plenty of names from people that have died in New York, but maybe it's just been so long that it just doesn't feel as, as real. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's really interesting to go to different places and feel the different vibes. And despite you know, committing myself to the New York movement, I, I really found a lot of faults in the New York movement after leaving and going to protest in other regions. Honestly, like that's one of the things that I'm most curious about because I think New York just has so much fight and so much heart in, in what they do. And every single person has their own kind of personal cause. And if, even if they don't align all around one thing, it's interesting to see how the different groups here all have their own personal cause that they center themselves around. You know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of curious if you've found that one thing, cause you're, you know, you're in a documentarian role and you've said that your role is, you know, much more storyteller, but everyone has at least a little bit, we're all human. We have a little bit of a personal stake. Do you find yourself like with a specific personal stake of something you want to see changed? Like how, how do you feel when you're at these on a human level more so than just the documentarian? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I actually haven't thought about this much. Um, you know, I, I haven't really put myself in a lot of these situations as a, as a documentary filmmaker. You know, I'm trying to be a, a fly on the wall most of the time. So it's not about me. It's about what's going on around me. And coincidentally, in my project, it's, it's my reaction to those things. But yeah, it's interesting because, you know, in New York, like you've said, there are so many sub fights or subcategories within the main fight. You know, it started off as police brutality, killing of black people at the hands of the police. You know, over the months, we've seen a fight for disabled people. We've seen a, a fight for those without homes. Uh, we've seen a fight for trans liberation. There's been a, a bit of a, a lateral movement to include all of these issues, which I totally am behind. But you go to a place like Louisville and it's police brutality. You know, it's justice for Breonna Taylor. There's there's not much deviation from where things started. So that's interesting. And for me, you know, as a as a black man in America, I'm in this for equality. You know, I, I studied sociology in school. I understand the dynamics of, you know, uh, socioeconomic uh, disparity, systemic racism, all of these larger things that are keeping people of color down. So, you know, whatever segment of the fight you fight for, I'm behind it because it all matters. It all it all needs attention. And hey, it's difficult to all assemble and come together over one issue. But at the same time, a lot of times you need to unite and go after one thing at a time. So I think sometimes you might dilute the fight if you deviate or if you make this like kind of lateral move. But like with that said, I still feel like I support every single segment of the New York movement. What do I think is the most important? That's a tough question. You know, what is I, the one that's most important to you? I mean, hey, you know, a lot of these things affect me directly, obviously, maybe mm -hmm. like the homeless situation might not directly affect me. But the true statement is that, you know, until Black Lives Matter, no lives matter. And that applies to all of these, these issues. So 
I, for me, like the thing that directly impacts me is, is probably police brutality. You know, I don't drive in New York, but you know, when I had a car last and every year I've had a car, there's like this anxiety that always hovers above your head revolving around the police. You know, if you get lights flashing in your rearview mirror, like, yeah, everyone gets a little anxious because no one wants to get pulled over by the cops and get a ticket. But I think for black people, in general, there's this fear that like your life might end. That's like a, a, a realistic possibility. And like I have tactics where I like really try to avoid any possible conflict. I stick my hands out of the window. I try to talk as politely as possible. And like some people say, oh, fuck that. You know, you got to be combative. Well, shit, like I, I'm, I pick and choose my battles. And in the situation where I know I can't win, I just make sure I don't lose badly. So for me, yeah, police brutality is probably the most relevant issue to me individually. So maybe that's my most important category of all these fights. But again, I, I'm behind all of them and I film all of them and I support all of them and I will continue to support all of them. Do you find that that kind of shapes what you gravitate toward when you're out filming? Like, so for me, like I've tried to find little moments that, you know, whether that's someone clapping and I'll just focus on their hands or music or something just to have that, like, you know, connect you to the music as though you were there. So for you, I'm curious, like, I mean, you got that big, you got that big honking camera. You're running around with that thing. Where, how do you decide where you're going to point that? What do you, what do you focus on? Everybody's yeah, doing different things. Yeah. I mean, you, you've lobbed up several questions that I've never <laughs> heard asked before and they're all like pertinent. And maybe I haven't thought about that answer directly, but how I operate, you know, requires thinking about these things. And, and I think anyone that goes out there and shoots, whether it's photo, video, whether they're a journalist, whether they're a podcaster, yada, 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 the conundrum of what to shoot is always something that, you know, we have to deal with. And, you know, when it comes to New York, you know, unlike Louisville, where there's one central area, Everything happens in that area. Everything starts in that area and often ends in that area. Uh, New York just has a plethora of groups, a plethora of neighborhoods that have different start off points, a plethora of vibes. You know, when I try to decide what to shoot when there's multiple options, generally, I, I first try to prioritize what's going to be the biggest event, what's going to be the most pertinent event. Not all the time is the biggest event, the most pertinent, but, you know, what's going to have the largest turnout and what's for me going to be the most powerful, kind of like you said, what, what's going to evoke the most emotion. And that's a very tricky thing to decide. Uh, you know, that, that's, that's another difficult part of my role in this movement is getting close to leaders you know, trying to give a full representation of what's going on, which means oftentimes I need to be two places at once because although one event might be bigger than the other, that doesn't mean the other is unimportant. It might just be less important, but, you know, not covering it at all means you're, you have holes in the story. So, you know, I've spent time with every single group in New York. I've talked to almost every single leader in some capacity. So at this point, you know, there is a hierarchy in my head, which I probably wouldn't share with too many people as far as who I think is the most important, as far as the, the entire movement, who I think is the most legit, who I like, you know, that's another thing. Sometimes when there's an event that might be pertinent, if I'm not a big fan of the leader, I might not be inclined to go, 
which also is a, is a, is a moral conf conflicting thing, you know, like my personal feelings shouldn't affect the story. So, you know, oftentimes I've had to go to events where I really wasn't excited about, but knowing that it was important. Yeah. I mean, especially I think for a lot of us, that is one of the biggest questions because even like when you're at an event, what you're looking at, like you are choosing, I remember having it, I was having actually the other night I was having a elevated discussion, let's say with some of the local news folks that were out filming some of the arrests that were happening the other night after an autonomous action. And they were just trying to argue like everything is news. Everything is news. So we're just filming everything. It's all objective. And it's like, yeah, but like, it's not though. Nothing is truly a thousand percent objective. Like where I choose what event I choose to go to, like you said, there's a whole range of internal and external decisions that go into that. When I'm at an event, what I choose to film or what I choose to take a picture of or not take a picture of, every single part of that is in some form or another calculated. And one person at the same event might will come away with two completely different looks at that event. So sure. what is objectivity in that sense? Like yeah, it's, it's just your first person view yeah. on the ground. Like that's as yeah. best as you can do. Yeah. You know, um, I kind of learned early on the power of media. I've obviously been a photo video guy for 10 years, but I've never really covered current events. I've never taken on the role of a video journalist or someone that people rely on to get the story from. You know, that's not really been my traditional role. You know, after going to a couple of volatile events, I realized that what you capture, how you edit it, how you display it, how you speak on it and do your write-up can drastically affect the narrative of that event. So I went to a couple, you know, BLM, Blue Lives Matter clashes. And depending on how I portrayed the clips that I caught, I could make either side look like saints or just awful people. And another realization I had that, that's along these lines is early on, I was out 10, 12 hours a day. I'm talking about the first week when things were super volatile. I was jumping from one thing to the other. There wasn't any scheduled events. It was just pockets of people would develop. You'd see it on Instagram and then you'd go. And what was my point? My point being that, uh, yeah, I kind of I lost my train of thought when this guy walked behind me. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, somebody looked like he had like a Chipotle burrito or something behind yeah, him. Yeah, and it smelled really good. So that, that, that's why I lost. It. Yeah, you know, like there, there is just so much nuance within each event that we've been to. I'd come home at the end of these long days, these wild days where I'd be at three or four different places in the city, and I'd watch the news and see what they're saying about New York City, and it would be a completely different representation than what I saw. Regardless of what I edited and how I portrayed it and what I wrote in my heading, it was just completely different than what I experienced, for better or for worse, on both ends. Like, I'd go out on crazy days and I'd go home to the news and people would, they'd be downplaying it. And then I'd go down, go, you know, in mild days and they'd be, you know, blowing it up. So I've, I've lost a lot of faith for the mainstream media over the last few months. I had already lost quite a bit before. But it seemed like the mainstream media was probably more unfair to the other side. So I didn't have as much of a problem with it. But one realization that I've kind of come to in these four plus months of shooting these protests is that the mainstream media is not to be trusted. 
regardless of what side you lie on. Like you've got to dig deeper. You've got to question everything you see. You've got to, you know, back check, back check, try to get as many perspectives as you can and then make your your conclusion up from multiple opinions. That was actually one of the reasons why I was having that discussion with the local news folks, because they were kind of making their point, the opposite point, essentially, that they are in some ways the truth and they're not trying to have an agenda. And uh, they didn't understand why the protesters were so distrustful of them. And I was like, well, I mean, I was a protester, just a protester for like a month, month and a half before I even bought a camera. And I have been on the receiving end of a lot of these news stories. I've seen how they're get, they get covered. And I was part of both Times Square SUV attacks. And I feel like neither one of those matched up with what I saw at all. Like, to also to wrap this back around and then let you go eat, because I know you got a flight and everything. One of the things that, of course, Trump has been most critical of is the media and how everything is portrayed. And you're out there, you're trying to talk to, to the supporters, get good interviews, get them to talk to you and trust you. That's why you're wearing your, you know, your deep cover outfit, you know, all clad in red, you know, (laughs) Um, like, how are you basically convincing them? You're not gonna, you're not gonna clip them out of context. I mean, that's always like their biggest complaint is that they feel like Trump is always out of context. You're going to take what they say and make it out of context. And then they're going to look like a crazy person. How are you kind of getting these people to feel like you're not going to do that? And then, and then when you're editing things afterward, do you feel consciously like I'm trying not to take them out of context? Yeah. I mean, this is, again, this is all new stuff. This is stuff that I've never done before. I've never gone deep covered anything. Like I've always been myself unapologetically and to go into you know what people have labeled the lion's den and try to operate has been it's been interesting i i feel like people trust me i don't know why i maybe i sound trustworthy i might not you got a sort of roguish charm about you i think most people have met you can kind of agree (laughs) Uh, you know maybe i'm good at bullshitting and, and twisting twisting the truth because there were several times where people tried to blow my cover they were like how do i know that you're really a trump fan how how do i know you're not just some liberal dude putting on a hat which i you know was yeah. <laughs> um and you know i guess the only way that i'm able to go home and sleep at night is knowing that i i, I i'm not out there to make people look bad i'm not out there to try to dig out well i yeah maybe i shouldn't say that because I, I i really was trying to pry out sound bites from people that i knew were deep down inside them that they were so hesitant to say to someone with a camera because generally when you bring a camera out people aren't the same they're not going to talk the same as when you're just having a candid conversation with them like for instance Plenty of times I'd film people, do an interview, and then I'd turn the camera off. And as soon as I turned the camera off and pointed away, their whole tone changed. And they'd start revealing things to me that they wouldn't have prior. And sometimes I tried to turn the camera back on and continue the interview. But yeah, like it, it's tough. You know, coincidentally, today on one of my IG lives when I was interviewing these two nice ladies, everything they said was legit. They expressed their love for Trump in a reasonable way. There was no real way, even if I wanted to, to doctor that interview and make them look bad. Yet, you know, after the interview, I stopped the camera. I walked away. I started talking to my audience on IG live and the two ladies walked around the trailer and saw me and came up to me and they were worried. They're like, you know, how do we know that you're not going to make us look bad? 
on this uh on your documentary which you know even the documentary focus i kind of lied about you know i kind of was telling people that i'm doing a documentary on the on the uh, election which is obviously untrue but if i told them it was on the black lives matter movement they wouldn't want to have anything to do with me most likely so you know i had to tell them genuinely like i'm out here because i know that dialogue is important there isn't enough talking going on between the sides you know i think liberals are almost more difficult to give the other side a chance than the right you know i hate to say it but, and and the right knows that so you know just me being this guy that's going out trying to talk to people and give people a chance to explain themselves i felt was important and i i, I kind of <laughs> misrepresented that to these ladies because i didn't want to blow my cover but i told them like i'm not out here to make you look bad i'm out here to get some people to talk and to air this out so that people can hear where small town green bay small town midwest people are coming from because you know people on the coast and i told them i'm from la and i live in new york like people where i'm from just don't have these interactions with people like you and it's important because it humanizes them because they are they are nice people in the end and i think on the left, we've now kind of put everyone that votes for Trump in this box, this box of deplorables, this box of, of people that are racist and don't care about immigrants and don't care about Muslims or dislike immigrants and dislike Muslims. And I, and I think that's definitely true of some of them. Don't get it. Don't get it twisted. And it may very well be true with Trump. Who knows if he's saying that shit just to say it or if he actually means it. Uh, in regards to the, the the Mexican rapists and the Muslim ban, but uh, yeah, like giving these people a chance to talk, giving them a chance to explain to my audience, you know, why they like Trump. It isn't always about guns. It isn't always about abortion. Sometimes it's just they like his personality. They like the fact that he's not this career politician that kind of fits this mold of people that a lot of a lot of citizens love to hate. So it's really tough. You know, there's a lot of like moral dilemmas like while doing this because I am lying to people, you know, straight up and down. Like I, I can't really sugarcoat that. I try not to be malicious in my lies. And my lies are usually based in just my political affiliation and what the purpose of my shooting is and not who I am, where I'm from and what I feel like is the path forward for this country. But also, mind you, uh, and probably the last thing I'll say, and unless you have a, a final question, is I think there's potential for some scary times ahead. Down in Louisville, I saw these militias, one all black, one far right and, and all white, just angry people with big weapons. And literally, the safety of hundreds of people was hanging in the balance. And one trigger or one punch could have led to like dozens of dead bodies. And the reality of tensions getting to a point where we have a civil war is a real possibility, which is scary as fuck. At this point, especially over the last month and a half or two months since I started going to Louisville, like I'm trying to hypothesize and brainstorm about like, A, what, what's the likelihood of these things happening, but also like what's the path to some kind of resolution? Like, can I have at least some impact in helping out the situation? Like, I feel like this this little research field trip that I've been on in going to these Trump rallies is really based in the fact that I want to know what what's the path going forward. 
what's the path to like uniting this country? Well, we live in a great nation, you know, this exceptionalism, this American exceptionalism is bullshit. Uh, when people say that America is number one, that that's bullshit. Yet and still, we, we do live in a great country. We have crazy history, both good and bad. But I want to have a future. You know, I want I want a United States of America. Like I want 50 states. I want our government, which, you know, I, I still I hold on to the to the pride in my back pocket because I am critical of this country. But I, I want the best for us. I don't want a war. That puts our lives in danger. Like I, I want us to prosper. If I can have any impact on that or I can figure something out that other people might not be able to, I'm going to go for it. I mean, that's I feel like that's a similar goal to what we're doing, even just on the Black Lives Matter side, is getting people to understand both sides of the same issue. We are all Americans. We are, whether we like it or not, we all live in the same country. We are going to have to figure out how to move past this era together regardless of how much we hate each other right now. Like that's just the unfortunate truth of the matter is just like, Hey, we will have to come together. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, my final question for you really is just, uh, you've been scoping out that airport, uh, food. What are you getting? (laughs) Cause you know, we could, we could talk about this all day long, but you got another flight. You got to get some, you got to get some grub before you go. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. What do you, what are you getting? You know, I can't, I stopped at this Romano's macaroni grill, which to me is like a fancy olive garden. There's no such thing as a fancy olive garden, Ron. (laughs) Olive garden doesn't get fancier. It just becomes something completely different. Okay. Well, it's completely different, but it's still, (laughs) you know, shitty good food. I I don't know. I'm not excited about what's on this menu. And I, and I don't want to, you know, throw away 1500 calories on a decent meal. You know what I mean? If I'm going 1500 calories, I want to enjoy the hell yeah. out of it. So I don't know. Like uh, Chicago airport is massive and I don't really know which goddamn hall I'm in and what opportunities there are for <laughs> employing sustenance. So I'm going to just kind of like wander around. I, I, I got a beer. I don't want to say I'm tipsy right now, but I'm definitely uh, in a different <laughs> mind state when I, than when I started this interview, you know, full transparency. But yeah, like I, I can't wait to get back to Philly. I was there for 30 hours. I was there for like 28 hours and I had two Philly cheesesteaks and I'm going to be there for another 24 hours starting at nine o'clock. And I guarantee you, I'm going to have at least one in that stretch, if not two again. <laughs> so I might just hold out and get seamless delivery. Like, you know, fuck it. Yeah. Eat like a like- salad today, double up on cheesesteaks tomorrow. <laughs> no, 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 no. Maybe like have another beer. And just be a little bit like, you know, I need I need to wind down. Like this Trump stuff, I'll tell you, it's mentally exhausting. I bet. And then, you know, put put the, the heavy things you hear and the conversations you have to the side, like the mental gymnastics that I have to go through to be like this conservative Ronald deep cover dude, and then still come up with questions that put people on the spot. Like I could give them layup questions all day long and I won't get anything to use. I have to try to pretend like I'm on their side, but get them to talk about divisive issues. That shit is tough. And that shit is eating at my brain. So, you know, two beers, like, is that bad? I don't know. No, you got to unwind. You're doing some Sasha Baron Cohen stuff out there, but like without the funny, like, like without the, without the, the character. Funny. Yeah. Without the, <laughs> and yeah, like uh, I just appreciate you wanting to talk to me. So thank you for 
even asking me and I'm, you know, always willing to take the time out to talk to you. I think what you guys are doing is great. I personally like you a lot, Tom. You're amazing. Oh. You're smart. Wow. You're on point. Like not <laughs> one thing you've said in our relationship of, of six weeks, I'd say, has made me say, hmm, what, what's that about? Like not one thing. So appreciate you, Unexpected bro. Unexpected compliments moment. You know yeah, I got you, man. I feel the same way, Ron, though. I, you know, we're supposed Thanks, to be dude. somewhat more objective here at Predators Coverage, so I'm not going to play favorites. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But you know what? Maybe oh, when, yeah. when, oh, the, yeah. when the Zoom call ends, maybe I'll give you some comments. <laughs> no, I really appreciate you taking I your time. You. Yeah. I, I always appreciate your perspective on everything. That's one of the things I like the most about you is, is I, I do like that you are able to go to something like a Trump rally and you are able to talk to people and do that like mental gymnastic deep undercover because a lot of people can't do that they can't separate that it's very tough that kind of stuff is, is very difficult so like i i really appreciate the work you're doing i'm so excited to see that documentary whenever it comes uh, out the last thing i'll say is just for the record like you know i think one uh benefit of being a documentary filmmaker is i don't have the moral obligation of being objective like that's something i choose to be like documentary filmmakers and documentaries in general sometimes tell the line of propaganda like i have the ability to tell the story that i want to tell and I just happen to really want to tell it from an objective standpoint. So I hope, I hope that people give me credit for that because that's what I'm trying to do. Maybe that's not what people see in my work because I am transparent and I speak my mind. But at the same time, like I try to give everyone a chance and I try to be fair. Well, this documentary is, I guess, coming out in 20XX whenever whenever you can get it out this could be a five-year movement and i don't know if i want to stop filming if shit's still going down so you know holler at me in 2027 if nothing <laughs> came out and you know, start to put the heat on me and we'll see what happens let's see what happens and in the meantime i guess people can follow you at uh it's rw2 productions on instagram is there anywhere else you'd like to plug yeah you know uh rw2 productions on youtube is going to be like my new platform that i start to blow up yeah holler at me on youtube subscribe smooth voice and you're already on the like and subscribe train there we go <laughs> smash that subscribe button on on rw2 productions everyone ron go have another yes. beer unwind a little bit have a safe flight Appreciate and I will see you. you tomorrow in Philly. See you tomorrow. Take That's care, Tom. Take care. Thanks again to Ron for taking the time between flights to log into airport Wi-Fi on super short notice to do this interview. And thank you for listening. Though you only heard me today, protest coverage has a large staff working around the clock, truly around the clock, to keep this ship running smoothly. Make sure to leave a five-star review if you enjoyed this episode. Follow us on Instagram at NYC Protest Coverage, and always feel free to reach out with any feedback or questions. So for the rest of the team, I'm Tom. Thank you again for listening. And if we don't see you out in the streets, we'll see you next week right here on the Protest Coverage Podcast. <laughs>